As we learned from our previous episode, the area now known as Woodbrook was originally part of a large Aboriginal village called Kumukurapo that was subject to repeated Spanish raids for natives to be used as slaves all along the Spanish main. Welcome to the second episode of Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. I'm Cecile George, Woodbrook born and raised and a member of the Woodbrook Residence Committee. And this episode, Genesis, takes us through another century of history towards the neighborhood we now know as Woodbrook. In the year 1888, Woodbrook land was a cane estate. In the year 1888, Woodbrook land was a cane estate. It was only good just for planting rice. But look at it now, it is a paradise. Oh, what a decent locality. Now is the Woodbrook vicinity. But first, let's step back and take a look at the big picture. During these centuries, the various countries of Western Europe were constantly at war. These wars generally had an underlying religious element and informed the settlement and development of the Western Hemisphere. When Columbus came to the New World, it is well known that the Pope, by the Treaty of Tordesillas, divided the world between the Spaniards and the Portuguese. And the Portuguese got mainly what is modern-day Brazil, and that's why it continues to be Portuguese. And no one else was supposed to come in. Only the Spaniards were supposed to operate in the New World. And that worked for a while, to the 15th century, and certainly part of the 16th century. But by the beginning of the 17th century, there really was a run on the region, led largely by the Dutch, and then by the English. As the 17th century turned into the 18th, the Caribbean islands often traded European hands, and a certain geopolitical situation became apparent. In the 17th century, there began a series of wars where particularly the French, the English, and the Dutch began to challenge the Spaniards for peace in the Caribbean. Now, all of this is going on, and very little is happening in Trinidad because Trinidad is not very attractive. There is a lot of bush in Trinidad, there is a lot of mosquitoes and snakes and whatnot, and very little of anything else. Very few people. As a matter of fact, there are stories of the settlers sending to see that they don't have shoes and they can't hold masks because their clothes are all in tatters. So it would appear that Trinidad was really a very far outpost of the Spanish Empire where there was a lot of primitive living. But the Spaniards maintained it as part of their empire. There were governors established and people with titles, etc. Even though the place was really a backwater. And here our story takes another interesting turn. The last Spanish governor, Don Jose Maria Chacon, moved the island's governing body, the Cabildo, to Port of Spain in 1784. By this time, European diseases and forced slave labor had wiped out much of the native population. Those who remained retreated deep into Trinidad's forests beyond Spanish reach or left for the mainland, so there was a severe shortage of labor. The Spanish, of course, were well settled in the large islands of Santo Domingo and Cuba. The English had settled in Jamaica, and then they had started to come down the chain to places like St. Kitts and Barbados, 
while the French were looking at places like Martinique, of course, and Guadeloupe. So it became very clear by the 17th and 18th centuries that if they wished to come to Trinidad, there would be nothing to stop them. And also, by this time, the Spanish Empire, which had been at its zenith in the 17th century, was beginning to lose its economic power. So here we are, the 18th century dawns, the Spanish Empire is getting weak. Trinidad is not developing at all. It is still a backwater. It is a few people sort of eking out a living. There might have been a few cotton growers and some coffee growers and things like that, but nothing that speaks to any development on a scale that would attract anyone. Additionally, the French Empire was now in turmoil. People from the French islands were anxious to escape the internal unrest of royalists against revolutionaries. By the time the French start to act up in the 18th century, and there is the question of the French Revolution, you have more and more people from the French islands becoming aware of the fact that if they have to leave the islands for one reason or the other, and there were many reasons why they might want to leave islands like Martinique, Grenada, St. Lucia, Dominica, which were all French. One of the reasons they would want to leave is that these islands had been in production for over a hundred years by mid-18th century. They had been producing sugar and they were becoming less productive. It was a happy confluence of needs. The Spanish needed people to populate Trinidad, and the French planters needed someplace safe to escape to. And both sets of people found their salvation in a young, well-connected French planter from Grenada. Room de Saint Laurent, which is a name that I think we really should know more of in Trinidad. He was a Grenadian, and he visited Trinidad somewhere in late 1770s, early 1780s. And it occurred to him that Trinidad really was a wonderful place for all these people who were having problems in terms of the politics of the time, as well as the lack of productivity in terms of the old island. And it was around this time that the Spaniards got a new king who attempted to make a difference. And he thought, you know what, let us see if we can populate Trinidad. On the prompting and persistence of Philippe Rome de Saint Laurent, in 1783, the Catholic King of Spain was finally convinced to allow immigration to Trinidad from other countries, especially the Roman Catholic French Caribbean. This was intended to be a foil against the continued threat of invasion by the Protestant countries namely the British, who had already grabbed Jamaica from Spain in 1655, and the Dutch, who had relieved Spain of Aruba, Bonaire, and Curaçao in the 1630s. Room's contribution was that he thought that if certain incentives were given, more people would come. And moving between Trinidad and Caracas over a period of time, what was developed came to be known as the secular population. The cedula comprised 28 articles governing several forms of land grants to encourage population growth, naturalization of inhabitants, taxation, armament of slave owners, the duty and function of a militia to protect the island, 
and merchant and trade issues. All applicants were required to be Catholic, so that while the majority of sedulants were in fact of French origin, there was also a good deal of immigration from Irish, Corsican, and other Catholic populations whose countries were on friendly terms with Spain. The population is now mainly made up of French-speaking emigres, people who have come from Grenada, Martinique, St. Lucia, and they have brought with them their enslaved people. The sedula's effect on Trinidad's population was immediate. What in 1773 had been a small colony of about 1,000 people boomed to over 18,000 inhabitants by 1797. Immigration was further aided by the French Revolution of 1789, which alarmed many French planters so much that they fled the French-controlled islands for Trinidad. Many of them were able to move entire sugar mills from different parts of the Caribbean to Trinidad. And really, it is from 1783 that we start to see Trinidad not operating as this place of adventure, this forgotten backwater where people didn't have shoes, where people were living really a, a very primitive type of life, to a place that begins to develop into a modern economy. Amongst the new arrivals was a Grenadian-born French nobleman named Louis-André Maury de la Perouse, whose father, Jean-Baptiste, owned several plantations in St. Lucia. Under the cedula, he acquired land in Tragarit, a region between the western side of the new capital, Port of Spain, and the entrance to the St. Anne's Valley. He set his slaves to clearing the forest, and in 1787, Tragarit became the site of Trinidad's first sugarcane plantation, complete with its own mill by 1789. The estate covered 240 acres and bordered the St. Clair and Pechier estates. Part of the Pechier estate later became the current Queen's Park Savannah. La Perouse's timing was excellent. Sugar prices were high during the late 18th century and the Tragarit estate prospered. Sugar became the most important cash crop in the Caribbean and stayed that way well into the first half of the 19th century. Next week, we'll take a walk through the 1800s. What happened to the Tragarit estate? What effects were world events having on this area that was soon to see even more drastic changes? I'm your host, Cecile George. Our podcast is a companion to the Growing Up Woodbrook Coffee Table Book, currently available worldwide and jointly published by the Woodbrook Residence Committee and the National Trust of Trinidad and Tobago. Let us give our compliments. This podcast was made possible by the hard work and collaborative efforts of many people, including educator and historian Valerie Taylor and music curator Sean Randu. The music in this episode was History of the Woodbrook Vicinity by the Mighty Growler from 1938 and Zinge by La Petite Musicale. Sound effects was fishmarket.wave by William Dauricio, sourced on freesound.org a collaborative database of Creative Commons licensed sound. We invite you to join us on this journey through Woodbrook's history. Subscribe and spread the word. Tell a friend or ten about our podcast and our book. Want to ask a question or leave a comment? Click on the link in the show notes to record a voicemail. And join us again here next time for Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. (laughs) 